next two weeks, if that's okay. But I'm going to tell you, as, as a pastor, it's always a little challenging to do Christmas lessons because you have to be very creative. Everything's been done. And so pastors want to share the gospel and talk about the Advent and the Christmas season, of course, but uh, you need to find a little bit of creativity, so hopefully we can find that today. But of course, at the end of the day, we want God's word to be proclaimed. So do you guys have any Christmas traditions for your family? I know that you probably do. Do you have any weird Christmas traditions? Well, I asked that on purpose because one of, these, one of these weeks we might look at some of the weird Christmas traditions all around the world because there are some very bizarre ones. But America, we have our own traditions, do we not? And I, ever, I often wonder, do you ever wonder where these traditions started? Do you guys have any idea where some of these traditions began? Well, I'm going to share with you today where some of these traditions began. And maybe you know this, maybe you don't know this. But either way, it's enlightening, right? It's Christmas season. So think about this question. Why do we decorate a tree for Christmas? I mean, think about that. It seems normal to us, but we chop down a tree, we put it in our house, and then we hang things on it like normal. And it seems very normal to us around this time of year. But why do we decorate a tree for Christmas? Well, I was able to find a little information on this. It was originally a plan to keep the mother-in-law busy when she came to visit for the holidays. Generally speaking, it's said that large plants in the home are a conversation piece. But one son-in-law discovered through trial and error that decorating a large tree can be a lack of conversation piece. And year after year, more decorations were added to buy a few more extra minutes of quiet. Now, that's not very nice. That's probably not really how it started, is it? It's, that's not very nice. But sometimes these, these traditions start and they're weird. How about this? Why do we fill stockings with presents? Why? Why do we take gifts and throw them into a sock and then hang them up on a fireplace or a mantle? Well, after several minutes of a child yammering on about not getting the toy he wanted for Christmas, a frustrated father told his son to stuff a sock in it. The boy misunderstood and shoved his unwanted toy in a used stocking and threw it on the mantle. And there we go. Now we hang stockings and we put toys in them. Again, someone needs to fact check these. These probably aren't real. <laughs> Hopefully you don't believe these. Um, how about this? Why did we go door-to-door door 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 singing Christmas carols? Has anyone ever done that? Sang Christmas carols? Maybe you go to the old person's home. And, or some people sing it to you in your lawn. Well, according to what I found, nothing says love like unwanted bad singing <laughs> on your neighbor's lawn with no warning whatsoever. That's the Christmas spirit. Please understand these are jokes, okay? <laughs> Hopefully no one's offended by these. I noticed some people are getting a little touchy. These are jokes. Why do we hang Christmas lights? Why in the world do we hang little lights all over our house? Well, wives needed to find a hobby for their husbands while they were off from work so the husbands didn't drive the wives crazy. And attaching tiny lights to the roof seemed like the best option. And the potential for an electrical shock was a bonus present for the wives. <laughs> jokes, jokes, people. How about this, number five, why do we give out gift cards instead of presents? You guys ever do that? Give out a gift card instead of a present? You just don't want to think about it? Here's a gift card. Well, husbands got tired of their wives saying, what a great gift, honey. Did you keep the receipt? <laughs> so I can get a different size. Well, gift cards are essentially a fancy receipt without the shame attached. So there you go. Number six, why do we drink eggnog? Does anyone like eggnog? Raise your hand if you like eggnog. Okay, there's the weirdos. 
Uh, no, eggnog is a delicious meal or drink. Um, why do we drink eggnog? Well, this mystery is still unsolved to this day. Nobody, nobody knows why. Eggnog, I wasn't able to find a lot of information on that. Nobody knows why. Number seven is a little funny, but also a little serious, which will transition us here. Why are we more likely to teach our children that an old fat man who rides behind a fleet of flying reindeer is the one delivering all the presents to the children in the world instead of teaching them the truth that the Son of God came to be the Savior of the world? And perhaps it's because we don't believe that someone could love us that much. If you have your Bibles, take your Bibles and turn them to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, which is generally not thought to be a Christmas passage, but hopefully after we study this today, you'll understand that it is quite a beautiful passage about the Advent. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. I don't have this on the screen today, so just follow along in your own Bibles as I read verses 5 to 11 of Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writing, he says this, he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Now before we get right into the text here, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. These aren't quite as silly, but I want to know, do you guys have a favorite Christmas movie? Well, think about it. I don't need you to blurt your answer out, but I'm going to ask you a little bit of a quiz here. and You just simply tell me yes or no. Are these Christmas movies? Okay? And this is according to your own opinion. There's no right or wrong. How about this? It's a wonderful life. Is that a Christmas movie? Yes. That's obvious, right? That's an easy one. Even though most of the movie is not centered around Christmas. But it is a traditional Christmas movie. How about this one? Home Alone. No, most people say Home Alone is not a Christmas movie. Does anyone say yes? yes? Okay, we've got some debate on that one. How about this one, ladies, While You Were Sleeping? Does anyone know that movie? Nobody knows that movie. Has anybody seen While You Were Sleeping? Is it a Christmas movie, Sue? No, it's not. Is that the one where the guy is dead the whole movie and they put shades on him and no. drag him around? No. No. I took a shot. I, th I thought it was either that or something about Rip Van Winkle. Actually, my wife likes that movie, and she says it is a Christmas movie. So, you guys can debate later. Uh, here's another weird one. Die Hard? Would anyone say Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Sue, yes? Sue's got her own opinion. Okay. What is your favorite Christmas treat? Again, don't shout it out, but think inwardly. Are these Christmas treats candy canes? That's pretty easy, right? We hang them on our Christmas trees. Uh, gingerbread cookies? Yes. No. Yes. Peggy says no. You, most of you say yes? yes? What about this one? Fruitcake? Yes. Fruitcake. Does anyone like fruitcake? Yes. Does anyone make a delicious fruitcake? Yes. Okay. All right. And eggnog. Yes. Eggnog. Okay. Does anyone not like eggnog? 
few of us. All right. What about your favorite Christmas song? We just sang a couple Christmas songs. Are these Christmas songs? Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That's an easy one. In fact, that's my favorite Christmas song. I love the doctrine in that song. How about Let It Snow by the Carpenters? Christmas song? Winter song. Okay, it's different. Same for Frosty the Snowman? Winter but not Christmas? Someone likes Frosty the Snowman. And how about Joy to the World? Does anyone know the history of Joy to the World? Did you know that Joy to the World was actually written about the second advent of Jesus? Did you know that? Originally written about the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. But generally, we use it for Christmas, which I think is okay, too. How about this? When is the proper time to hang Christmas decorations and play Christmas music? Now, that is heavily debated. What? After Thanksgiving. Is that generally the rule? First cold weather? Now, that's pretty relative. Okay, so you're always ahead or behind. See, we like to get started generally sometime in August. Because if we start in August, we'll have the decorations up December 15th. With a big family, that's just kind of how it goes. And how about this one? What is the classic Christmas passage of Scripture? If you guys read Scripture around your home on Christmas, what is generally the, the passage we would use? Does anyone want to guess on that one? Luke, Luke 2. Matthew, Luke, something like that. Well, I want to make a petition today to make Philippians 2, 5 to 11, an official Advent or Christmas passage, because I believe it speaks about the first Advent of Jesus so clearly. And today we want to consider this question, why an Advent? Why an Advent? I think we need to ask more questions as a society. I really do. I don't think we ask enough questions. Whenever there's a new show... We all race out to watch it. Whenever there's a new style, we all race out to wear it and get it. Whenever there's a new piece of tech or a new app, we all have to have it, right? But no one asks questions like, why? Why should we? How will this enhance my life? What good could it bring? Is there any evil behind that? Well, today we're going to ask a question. And we're going to ask this question today, and we're going to answer it according to the Word of God. Why does an Advent even exist? Why is there a Christmas? Well, I hope and believe that we all understand that God is sovereign, right? He's almighty. Cannot God do anything at any time? If someone asked you that question? Well, then here's a follow-up question. And I often get, get these kind of questions when I was in young adult ministry. If God can do anything at all time, at any time, why did Jesus have to come to the earth to save us from our sins? Why did Jesus have to come to earth at all? Couldn't God just save us from heaven? Couldn't he do the DoorDash version and just send, send us a blessing from heaven? Why did Jesus have to come to the earth? Why did Jesus have to die? Why an Advent? Well, our goal today is to answer that question with two different answers. And I'm going to give you these answers straight away. I'm going to give you these answers right now in case some of you guys are note takers. These are the two answers we want to explore today. Number one, according to the text... In order for us to gain everything, Jesus had to lose everything. That's honest. And number two, Jesus' example of humility is the world's greatest lesson. And we'll find that right here in the text. Now, a little doctrinal lesson. Hopefully by now we all know that we're sinners by nature. Is that true? We all understand that? We were actually born from sinners. Your parents 
I hate to break it to you, were sinners. Your grandparents were sinners. Their parents were sinners. All the way back to our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. Our first ancestors were sinners. And they passed that sin down to the rest of humanity. I heard a minister put it this way. He said, just like apples come from apple trees, sinners come from sinners. And this makes all of us biological sinners by birth. Sin is in our DNA. And if you don't believe this, just have a child. And see if they're prone to acting righteous or acting sinful from the beginning. We are born sinners. It's clear, it's obvious to hopefully all of us. But it's also true that we also choose to sin. Biology does not make us sin. We decide to make sinful choices according to our fleshly desires. This also makes us willful sinners. Therefore, we are sinners times two. We are biological sinners, and we are willful sinners. Our first name should be iniquity, and our last name should be transgression. We are as sinful as fish are wet. And understanding that we are sinners is the most elementary and fundamental truth in the world. Well, actually, it's probably number two, right? Next to the existence of God. But after that, the doctrine of the inherent sinfulness of man is the primary truth that we as people should believe. In fact, until we believe that we are sinners, we cannot understand nor appreciate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Unless you understand you're a sinner, you'll never understand your need for a Savior. Are we sinners? And do we need a Savior? I hope you would say amen to both of those. Now, we need to make an important distinction, okay, because we were not created sinful. Did you know that? From the beginning, if you go back to the beginning of Genesis, mankind was not created sinful. God, our God, is holy, holy, holy. And when a thrice holy God makes anything, and that's something or someone, he creates as holy from its conception. God cannot make anything, even slightly, evil. Everything that God designs is good just like he is. And you remember that from Genesis. Every day it said, and it was good. So God does not get credit, nor does he want credit, for our sinfulness. But we are sinners from birth, thanks to Adam and Eve, passing down their sinful DNA to us, and our oldest ancestors were created at the beginning to be good and holy beings. They were made in God's image. Made to think like God. Made to act like God. So what broke our creation? Well, of course, we know by now that Adam and Eve were not created to be machines, were they? They were given a free will. And unfortunately, that free will allowed Adam and Eve to choose sin over choosing to obey God. And because they chose sin, they brought a curse upon the world and a curse upon mankind. And the moment they chose to sin, they became sinners because one single sin is enough to separate us from the holy and pure God. And because of their sin, God cursed the world, including everything living upon it. Make no mistake about it, God is deadly serious about sin. He cannot, nor does he not, wink at sin. Sin is not cool. It is eternally deadly. And the day that Adam and Eve chose to sin is the most tragic day in history. It's worse than the sinking of the Titanic. It's worse than the bombing of Pearl Harbor. 
It's worse than the tragedy of 9-11. The fall of mankind is the day that Adam and Eve became physically and spiritually bankrupt. They lost everything. In fact, there's a poem written in the 1600s called Paradise Lost, all about the day Adam and Eve lost everything. Because Adam and Eve chose to sin, they become spiritually bankrupt. And if that was not bad enough, they decided to, well, they did decide to, but they did pass that spiritual condition on to their children, Cain and Abel and Seth. And therefore, every child ever born of man and woman begins their, exact, begins their life the exact same way, spiritually bankrupt. We might have many physical blessings in this life. I'm sure we all do. But in the spiritual realm, before Christ saves us from our sins, we are all spiritually bankrupt. Before Jesus saves us, in the eyes of God and in the scope of eternity, we have nothing. We have nothing of lasting value before Christ comes to save us. We are spiritually destitute, and there is nothing we can do to change that lot. There's no spiritual lottery we can play. There's no spiritual investment we can make. There is no spiritual payback system. Before Jesus comes to this earth to save us, we have no spiritual or eternal hope. And unless we find salvation in the eyes of God, we will be eternally doomed. Because sin is eternally deadly. And yes, that is terrible news. But this leads into the first answer for our question today. Why an advent? Because right behind that terrible news is the best news ever given. The Lord Jesus came to this earth to change that spiritual and eternal lot for all of us. The gospel declares that God sent Jesus to this earth to save all who are lost. And by now I hope you know we all are lost. And unless Jesus came to save us, we would all have remained spiritually bankrupt for all eternity. And since we are more spiritual than we are physical... That would have made for a devastating eternity. What would you do to spare your loved ones from a horrible fate? To what lengths would you go? Now, are there any accountants among us today? Anybody know accounting? Anybody taken accounting? Nobody. Okay. Hope you're good with money. We have no help. <laughs> well, I took two years of accounting, so maybe I'm the best in the room, and that's scary. Um, I took two years of accounting in high school, and the way accounting works is that there are losses and there are gains. See how smart I am? Credits and debits. Thank you. There's a thing called a ledger, right? And, and that keeps track of those losses and gains. And for someone to gain an asset, someone else has to suffer the loss of an asset. And I want you to notice our text. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is God's only begotten Son. In fact, according to this passage and according to the rest of Scripture, you can say this, Jesus is God. He is God. Jesus had everything that God had in heaven. He had all the glory, all the riches, all the praise, all the full sovereign control over everything. 
But recall what we just stated. God's people, the best part of his creation, had made themselves utterly spiritually bankrupt. And even worse than that, we were actually condemned. Jesus was blessed in heaven, but his people were cursed on earth. Now, it's one thing to go broke, but it's another thing entirely to be eternally damned. And this was not okay with God. Aren't you thankful for that? It saddened and even angered God that his people were suffering a hopeless eternity while he was enjoying splendor in heaven. And we would agree with God on this statement, wouldn't we? Are we happy when we're healthy, but the rest of our family is sick and suffering? Of course not. If you love those people, you want them to be healthy as well. We love our families sometimes more than we love ourselves, and that's a good thing. Or how about this? Think back to your childhood, your upbringing. Did you ever have to have your parents bail you out of something? There's one nod. Thank you, Lisa. Finally, a friend in the room. I, my dad bailed me out of countless scenarios, okay? Countless messes that I made along the years. My dad and my mom were there to bail me out. In fact, funny story, I don't have the time to share this story, unfortunately, but my mom actually had to break up with a girl for me um, because the girl was not getting the message. And that, that is a true story. My mom had to sit her down and tell her it was over. Now, that's awkward. That is awkward. But parents have to bail their kids out from time to time, do they not? And most good parents are willing to get their kids out of a jam every now and then. But this is where we come to the shocking part of the story. Because for us to be spiritually whole and healthy again, Jesus had to lose everything. Literally, everything. In order to save us, Jesus had to step away from all the glory, all the riches, all the praise, all the full sovereign control in heaven that is reserved for God alone. And he had to come to this earth to become a man, to become a servant of man, and to eventually die on the cross for sinful man. If we were to gain, Jesus would have to suffer a great loss. And thankfully, we're standing, we're sitting here today because he was willing to do all of that. Because the only other option was for his people to end up in a godless hell for all eternity. And God did not want this. Jesus was willing to lose everything so we could gain everything. In accounting terms, Jesus went into the red, literally, with his blood. So we could go into the black and suffer, excuse me, and experience eternal gain. Now we give so much time and conversation around this time of year to Christmas presents, do we not? But Jesus is the present for mankind. His loss was our gain. God is holy. He could not sweep our sins underneath a rug in his kingdom. Sins had to be paid for, every single one of them. And if we were not going to pay for them, someone else would have to pay for them because justice had to be served. God is holy. And this passage teaches us that Jesus did not consider equality with God a thing to excuse me, a thing to be grasped or something to be held on to. He had riches and glory beyond our estimation in heaven, but according to Philippians 2, he did not desire to keep everything he had in heaven while we died in our sins. He came to this earth to die in our place on a wooden cross so that my sins and your sins could be paid for in the eyes of God. And we could ultimately find spiritual healing, restoration, and eternal hope in heaven. Amen. Amen. Our hope today is entirely thanks 
to Jesus. He stepped down from his throne in heaven to instead be born in a lowly manger on the earth. He suffered loss so we could experience eternal gain. And that is the very definition of the word love. That's the exact definition. Do you know anyone at all who loves you like Jesus loves you? Could anyone match that love? 2,000 years ago, the Son of God entered the womb of a woman he created. He was born and nursed by that woman and was raised by parents he created. I want you to consider that for a moment. Try to meditate on that fact. People that he created. He was born, raised, and nursed. And if that wasn't enough, humility, Jesus eventually died on the cross for the sins of the world so that those who believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. And perhaps that's just a reminder to you today, but it's a powerful reminder. Why in Advent, for us to gain, Jesus had to lose everything. And he was willing to. If you have eternal life today, it's because Jesus died to give it to you. The first Advent is all about love. That's generally why Christmas is thought to be a loving time of year. But there's a second reason tucked into Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11. And here's the second reason why in Advent. Jesus' humility is the world's greatest lesson. It is. I'd love to just inspire you this Christmas season and send you off on, on your day feeling very merry about your eternal hope and life. Because the gospel is the best story that's ever been told. And it's truth. It's truth. But you see, we're not done with this lesson until we hear the call of Jesus for act, to act the very same way that he did for us. Notice the phrasing again. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Did you notice that one phrase, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus? Do you notice that there? That's how the passage starts. The phrase literally means think the same way that Jesus did for you. He's not just reminding us today that he came to save us. He's also reminding us that acts of humility and love can change the world. Because they did change the world. Now we had the happily ever, ever after story there for a moment, didn't we? Jesus died for us so we could become eternally rich and prosperous. And in our minds, that's how the story should have ended. With us receiving the best Christmas present we ever received. Because we like presents. And that's a good happy ending. But the Apostle Paul tells us that we are now supposed to show the same humility and same sacrifice to others that Jesus showed to us. How come? Why? Well, we're not given the answer in this passage. It's simply just stated like a commandment. Think and act like Jesus did. But perhaps we can use simple basic logic to come to the answer for why should we? Why should we act like Jesus? Why suffer the loss so that others can gain? Has anyone ever heard of the phrase, pay it forward? You guys ever heard of that phrase? After doing something nice for you, someone might say to you, pay it forward. I've had someone say that to me before. Why don't they just say, enjoy the blessing? Enjoy it. 
Enjoy the love that I just showed you. Why is it good and proper to continue showing similar love and kindness that someone has shown to you? Now, the other day, I was driving in my car to get my wife a coffee from Dunkin' Donuts because I like to keep my marriage strong. And I haven't found anything better than coffee. Actually, Janine had a sore throat, so I was trying to help her that way. But I decided to go to Dunkin' to get her favorite coffee. And as I was driving on the road, and I'm, I'm learning as a little tonight. Is that the word? Um, that when you're driving through downtown, you're supposed to stop, right? If a person or a car or a moose <laughs> wants to cross the road. And so I'm learning. I'm learning as, as a citizen of Littleton now what to do. And so I saw a car with its blinker on coming the other direction into Duncan. So I did the good Littleton Christian thing and I stopped and I waved them on and said they could go ahead of me. Well, apparently they were very touched by this because they both waved real nice and big. And then when I got up to pay for my coffee, I noticed that the coffee was already paid for. They had paid it forward. And I was more touched that day by their act of kindness than I'm sure they were by mine. But it's interesting. I believe pay it forward is a biblical concept. Have you noticed how many good things the world steals from Jesus? That right there comes out of the mouth of God. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Pay it forward. Think the same way. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, it's interesting. When we think about the word humility, many of us think that humility is similar to having a low self-esteem, right? Kind of like the, uh, the old character. There's the phrase before we get there. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. But do you remember the character in Winnie the Pooh? Uh, Eeyore. Remember Eeyore? Good old Eeyore. Oh, my tail fell off. It's going to rain today. I'm not very good. I'm not very smart. Eeyore was a fun character. But when we think about humility, sometimes we think of, of that kind of thing, that maybe it's a low self-esteem. But you see, Paul, the Apostle Paul has a much, much different idea altogether. Because Jesus never had a low self-esteem. Did you know that? Never. We're reading through the Gospels in the small groups, and we're going through the book of John. And constantly, Jesus is declaring to the entire world, unashamedly, that he is God's only begotten son and the only savior of the world. Jesus' self-esteem was not low at all. He did not, nor does he not, think any less of himself than being the Messiah and the glorified son of God. A low self-esteem is not the goal of being a Christ follower. We are children of God, thanks to Jesus. And that is an amazing thing to know and to glory. However, even though Jesus is the glorified Son of God, he did something remarkable. He humbled himself positionally and became to us like a servant. He went as low positionally as he could so that he could serve his own creation. Do you remember when he washed the disciples' feet and Peter thought this entire thing was backwards? Jesus, you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. We should be washing your feet. And Jesus said, I'm teaching you something today, Peter. Jesus positionally went as low as you possibly could go. He went from servant to dying on a cross. And that is the true picture of humility. We are indeed valuable in the eyes of God, and I don't want you to ever lose that truth. But God calls us to act like servants. It has nothing to do with worth. It has everything to do with love. Humility is positional lowliness. 
Here's another important question. If dying on our sins was Jesus' primary goal, why did he not come to earth as a grown man, die upon the cross, and be done with it? I mean, if dying on the cross was the point, why not come as a 33-year-old man, die that very week, and go right back to heaven? Why did Jesus have to humble himself to become a baby? To be raised by people he created, to suffer and be rejected most of his life, and then to die a truly awful death. It's so much humility and so much suffering. And one of the answers to this question is because Christ's humility would be the greatest lesson we could ever learn. We didn't just need a sacrifice. We needed a teacher. To teach us how to live this life the proper way, we needed a map which guides us to heaven. Humility and love is that teacher. Humility and love is that map. The way to heaven is by following the pattern of Jesus. Now it's sad to say, but it's true that sin has warped our brains so badly that we actually believe selfishness to be okay. We believe that getting what we want out of this life is an honorable lifestyle, one to be celebrated and honored. We will term it the American dream or looking out for number one. In fact, a few years ago, a movie was released. In fact, I think it's more than a few years ago, probably closer to 15, 20 years ago, called The Pursuit of Happiness. And its premise was a man who was suffering and struggling in order to attain success and happiness in this life. And I remember during that time that people thought it was one of the most motivating, inspiring stories of all time of a man struggling and suffering to gain his own happiness and prosperity. And people considered that perhaps this man's example in this movie would be one we should emulate in America. He was trying to gain happiness by going up in life. And today, Jesus is shattering that concept. Because Jesus gave up everything he had of glory and prosperity in heaven so that others, even sinners, would become healthy and blessed. And he didn't just live that way for a week. He lived that way his entire life, even up to his final breath on the cross. And Jesus is shouting a message to us today. Humility is the better way. Humility is the better way. Jesus went down so all of us could go up. And Paul is reminding us today of that strategy to true success. If you want to go up, which is a good thing, it is a good thing to desire to go higher in eternity and in life. And if we want to go up, we need to follow Jesus' example and first go down. Now, the world believes that the best way to live is by striving to go up in life, that by chasing fame and success and fortune and riches, we will ultimately reach our goal of happiness and prosperity. But do we let the world dictate how we live? Or do we let the word of God dictate how we live? And God's word says the opposite. The world is going the wrong way. If you want to go up and be happy and prosperous for all eternity, then do what Jesus did. Go down. Positionally. Humble yourself. Make yourself a servant of God and concern yourself with the needs of others instead of your own. That's exactly what the word love means. And it's a paradigm-shattering concept to the world, but it comes right out of the mouth of God. You see, when we humble ourselves... When compared to Jesus' humility, it's a small fall, is it not? 
When we humble ourselves, we go from human to servant of humans. It's like falling out of a chair. If we fall out of a chair, we might bloody our lip or twist our ankle. But when Jesus humbled himself, he literally fell from heaven. He went from the only begotten Son of God to the servant of man in our sacrificial lamb. When Jesus humbled himself, he lost everything. Everything. When we humble ourselves, we too suffer loss, but much less than Jesus did. Isn't that correct? It's similar if I asked, let's use an illustration here. If we asked the entire world to empty out their bank accounts for some really important cause, if I emptied out my bank account, it would hurt a little because I have a little. But if Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, emptied out his bank account, it would be a devastating loss because he has much more to lose. Isn't that correct? And do you see the analogy? Jesus is asking us to empty ourselves. But our act of humility is nothing when compared to what Jesus did for us. It's nothing. When we fall, we fall out of a chair and we sprain our ankle. When Jesus fell, he died on a cross. While his own people mocked and scorned him. He even lost the fellowship for a time from his father. When he stepped into the place of sinners. Jesus lost everything. When he came to this earth. But we need to understand something important today. Because this is bordering on the line of sounding depressing. Humility and loss? Really, pastor, during the Christmas season? That might sound a little depressing, but this is the irony of this lesson. Humility and loss is not what Jesus is calling us to. Not primarily. He's calling us to eternal prosperity and glory. I'm going to have you take your Bibles. We're going to do one flip today. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And go to verses 9. I'm going to read verses 9 to 11. Listen to the language. This is very strange language. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. And the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Do you notice the paradigm change and shattering? Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Why? Because like Jesus, although going down, he will one day go up. And the rich and successful of this life without Jesus, as they seek to go up, they will go down eventually. Jesus is calling us to share in his heavenly inheritance, but he's also telling us that we need to go the opposite direction of what the world is going the world is seeking to get prosperous by going up in this life. And Jesus is telling us today, point blank, the only way to go up is by first going down, just like he did, following his example. 
And if you think that's a silly notion, and you think that's eye-roll worthy, I want you to see how it ended for Jesus. Because he did die on a cross, literally, actually. And that was a shocking turn of events for those who thought that Jesus belonged in a palace in Jerusalem. Because instead of a palace, he got a cross. And the story was not shaping out the way most people thought it was going to. Why would Jesus lose everything if he's the Son of God? And this truth we're about to discover makes all the difference in the world. Because where is Jesus today? Is he dead? Is he rotting in a tomb? Is he the greatest loser of all time? Because he lost everything. Verse 9 of our passage says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. This passage should give us goosebumps today. Did Jesus humble himself and suffer loss for all eternity? Quite the contrary. According to Scripture, Jesus ended up gaining more than he even lost. And he did all of this because he entrusted himself to the plan of God the Father, because God's plan works. The world is going the wrong way. Jesus went up by first going down. And if you remember, the same thing happened to Job. Do you remember Job? who also lost everything. He lost everything because he submitted himself to God's plan. And what was the last chapter, the last story, the last part of Job's life? Do you remember what it said about Job? In Job 42.10, listen to the language, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, which he had prayed for his friends, and the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. His loss and humility the end game, it is certainly not. One day, like Jesus, we will be exalted. Jesus lost everything when he came to this earth, and he served man, and he died on a cross, but Scripture teaches us that Jesus gained everything by submitting himself to the plan of God. He is now and forever the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and one day every knee will bow, even those who hated him. Every tongue will confess, even those who blasphemed him that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This very day, Jesus is on his magnificent throne in heaven, and he will be exalted, praised, served, and glorified for all eternity because he once humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he's telling us today, Crossroads Church, do likewise. Go up forever by following my example and first going down. Number one, he's saying to us, I love you this much. I was willing to become a man and die for you so that you could go up. You could go from spiritually bankrupt to having the hope of eternal life and the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. It's all thanks to Jesus. We went up because he went down. But he's also telling us that his example of humility is our greatest lesson. If we go the same direction Jesus went by going down and humbling ourselves to serve the needs of those around us, then one day, just like Jesus, we will be exalted in heaven forever. And the irony is we will go up by going down. And when we go up in heaven, we will stay up. And we'll never have to go down again. 
These are the two primary reasons why there is an Advent to celebrate. And I want you to remember these two reasons this, this, this season. As we celebrate Advent this year, I want you to remember why in Advent. Number one, let's praise the Lord for his sacrifice for us. Let's praise him. Let him hear that from us this holiday season. Many times over, thank you, Jesus, for what you did. And number two, let's emulate his example by seeking the welfare of those around us and going down because it's a secret to going up. If you do not know the great love and salvation of our Lord today, I want you to come and speak to me. That's why we're here, okay? Today could be the day of your salvation. Don't leave here if your sins are unpaid for. They don't have to be. Jesus came to pay for every single one of your sins. He came to go down so that you could go up. Today could be the day you find Jesus and find that hope. And if you do know Jesus' love and salvation, and get out there. Show the world, show this community his love and salvation through your acts of positional humility and loneliness. Because as Jesus taught us and showed us, the only way to go up is by going down to serve God and to serve others with your life. Would you bow in prayer? Father, it's, it's hard for us to wrestle with a concept that's so against the grain. To go down makes no sense to people who want to go up. But if we simply look at the life and the example of Jesus Christ, we will remember that he came to show us the way, to teach us, to example, to, to model the right way to exaltation. It's not through prosperity and chasing fame and fortune and riches. It's quite the contrary. It's by making ourselves servants. And it's not because of worth. It's because of love. Thank you for what you've taught us today. And I pray that today, this season, would be one of us showing that kind of love to this dying world. Because love's, acts of love and humility can change the world. And we thank you for the example of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.